Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. On for podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM, 1135-ish. We'll hear from Mark Morehouse from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Look forward to catching up with Mark. Uh, Kirk Ferris was part of a Zoom with the Iowa media yesterday. And uh, did you see there potentially another quarterback making their way to, at least that's the speculation. Some kid, I can't think of his name, committed to Ball State, mm. three-star and just decommitted, and he was given. He received an Iowa offer earlier in the week. People are putting two and two together. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. Iowa does not have their quarterback as they seemingly every year get one, don't have one. Yeah, pretty easy to connect the dots, it feels like, on this one. <laughs> I think so. So more on that tomorrow with Tom Caker because uh, Rival's such a terrific um, recruiting I don't know, arm if you want, to resource, probably be a better word. So Tom Kaker, uh tomorrow on that. Boy, Sean David, he's got me excited. I think we're going to have NBA basketball. I July? really do. July 31st is 31st. That seems like a long time away. It does. You mentioned at the top of the show October and just how crazy that is going to be. Mm-hmm. With college football and the NFL and the things that normally matter in the NBA playoffs. But then you have NHL. No, the NHL will be off. Oh, they'll be done. Yeah, because they're gonna they finished in September. I thought I saw October eighth would well, be game seven. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. I I now you could be you could be right. I saw September, but maybe it is October. Because I, I was reading something leading into our conversation with Sean, and I was also almost positive it was four days before the conclusion of the NBA would be. Now, so all major was, sports would be going at the same time. It would be. Mm-hmm. When's the Derby going to be run? It's first weekend in September. September. Yep. You have. Golf majors, you know, and that is so low down my totem pole. Yeah, it really and truly is one of your favorite events of yeah, the year. Yeah, with bar none. I mean, I love the first Saturday in May, but the first Saturday in September is the first day of college football. Will you flip over at I? If there's maybe, right? <laughs> I mean, I'll bet the race. Maybe I think so. But Iowa, you and I get oh, placed as that. a two thirty kickoff. I'm in. Not even over for the two minutes. Well, old habits die hard. But That's true. Yeah, we'll see. All right. It sounds like we're getting very close to Governor Kim Reynolds. Channel 13 has cut in. The, uh, here's the governor of the state of Iowa. I'd like to start conference. today by applauding the Iowa House of Representing, uh, Representatives on passing critical legislation last night that implements our proposed constitutional amendment restoring the voting rights of Iowans who have completed serving their felony sentence. This bill ensures the rights of victims are protected 
by clarifying that victim restitution must be repaid before an Iowa's vo Iowans' voting rights are restored. We must never forget about victims, and that's why I think this bill is a sensible compromise. This bill is another important step in our efforts to pass historic, a historic constitutional amendment. Iowa is now the only state in the nation where all convicted felons lose their right to vote unless they apply to the governor. Now is the time for action to change that. We have a broad coalition of supporters from across the political spectrum, and I appreciate the efforts of senators and House members of both parties to advance this amendment. I'm grateful for Senator Zahn's comments on the Senate floor last night that he intends to move forward with the constitutional amendment. We need the Senate to take action approving the amendment. That is the next step in the process so the people of Iowa can vote on this important issue. The amendment passed the House 95 to 2, and I look forward to seeing similar bipartisan support in the Senate this month. The right to vote is the cornerstone of being part of society and being heard. And to the thousands of Iowans who have taken to the streets in peaceful protests and calls for this kind of reform, I say thank you. And to the police officers who have facilitated these peaceful protests in a respectful and restrained manner, I also say thank you. So as we continue to move through the recovery phase of COVID-19, increased testing continues to be a critical piece of IO's recovery. A key component to our testing strategy early on was to ensure our ability to secure more testing supplies and expand our capacity to process more tests. So that when the time came that the virus was was spreading throughout the state, we'd be able to test as many Iowans as needed, vastly improving our ability to contain and manage the virus. Despite the fact that testing supplies were, sh uh, short, were in short supply nationwide, we were able to increase our testing and processing cap capabilities. By leveraging federal and state resources, Iowa's regional health care systems, and our public-private partnerships. Today I want to pro provide a different perspective on what it means to expand testing capacity by comparing where we started to where we are now. I want to highlight and I want to clarify that I am highlighting testing capacity, not what we're doing but what the capacity of our abilities are. Typically we talk about the number of cases or individuals, but individuals can be tested more than once, such as healthcare workers, law enforcement, and other essential employees. So to understand our capacity for testing, we look at all diagnostic tests done over time. To date, the total number of tests in the state of Iowa is nearly 198,000. 22,063 of total tests were positive for a positivity rate of 11.1%. During the month of March, 10,714 tests were done in our state. Of the total tests, 760 were positive for a positivity rate of 7.1%. Test samples were collected in hospitals and clinics and sent to a variety of labs for testing. Of the top 10 labs that processed the most samples during the, mar during the month of March, Iowa's state hygienic lab ranked at the top of the list. Processing nearly 3,800 tests, of which 285 were positive, 
for a positivity rate of 8%. Other labs included large national labs, regional health systems, and local hospitals or clinics. During April, as virus activity dramatically increased, it was critical that we were able to expand testing even, even further, especially as the first outbreaks in long-term care facilities and manufacturing facilities were confirmed. We conducted a total of nearly 54,000 tests last month, with approximately 9,600 of them positive, a rate of 17.8%. More than 19,000 tests were processed at the State Hygienic Lab, more than double the number of the next closest lab, and approximately 4,100 were positive for positivity rate of nearly 22%. This was during the time that we were beginning to deploy strike teams to hotspots to conduct surveillance testing. We also hit our all-time high of positive cases in a single day was 789 on April 29th, driven largely again by the surveillance testing that we were conducting. We closed out the month with the launch of Test Iowa, our solution for significantly expanding testing capacity statewide. The first drive-through sites opened starting on April 25th and resulted in nearly 1,600 more tests processed at the State Hygienic Lab. During May, testing increased significantly, with nearly 125,000 total tests being done across the state. And our positivity rate was consistently trending down for an overall rate of 9% for the month. May was our opportunity to ramp up Test Iowa, not only to uh, improve access to testing in communities across the state, but also to um, better enable us to manage virus activity over time as we started to lift some of our mitigation restrictions, gradually reopening, reopening businesses and moving into our second phase or our recovery uh, stage. During the first two weeks of May, the State Hygienic Lab was working to complete the Test Iowa validation process, which is standard whenever a new test is introduced at a lab. The State Hygienic Lab also went through a validation process for the CDC test in early March when COVID-19 testing began. Test Iowa was successfully validated on May 13th and achieved high rankings of 95% accuracy for determining positive and 99.7% accuracy for determining negatives. During the validation process, we maintained a lower than normal capacity and Test Iowa generated 2,714 tests from May 1st to May 13th. From May 14th through the end of the month, that number exploded to 16,780 tests. Test Iowa is now generating more tests than any other testing option in Iowa. While we have not yet hit our capacity of 3,000 tests in one day, I'm proud that we're getting close. Our highest daily total to date is 2,356 tests. But it's important to understand that 3,000 tests per day is our capacity. It's the number of tests that we're ready and able to do in a single day.
provided that 3,000 Iowans schedule appointments and come through test Iowa, Iowa um, come through for testing on any given day. So some critics have applied that we've failed to keep our promise to testing 3,000 Iowans daily through test Iowa. That number was never a promise or a guarantee. It's been our capacity, and we're ready, and I'm confident if Iowans want to use the system, we'll hit that soon. What I did promise Iowans is that we would leave no stone unturned to make sure that we had the resources needed to provide the care Iowans need and deserve throughout this pandemic. Test Iowa is just one of those resources, but it is a critical one. By expanding testing in communities across our state, we're able to identify and isolate positive cases, get Iowans on a path to recovery sooner, track virus activity and better understand its scope, and deploy targeted mitigation strategies to contain and manage it over time so that we can get life and business back to normal. Of course, our efforts um, have, hasn't been without some challenges. Anytime you're doing something that hasn't been done before, there's bound to be some bumps along the road. Test results were delayed during the validation process. Some even took several days. But we are now meeting or exceeding the 72-hour turnaround time for test results. Since opening the criteria to any Iowan who wants to be tested, appointments are filling up fast and some people are waiting days to be tested. So if you're ill and you think you should be tested as soon as possible, please call your doctor instead of waiting for more Test Iowa appointments to open up. There's also some frustration that Test Iowa sites aren't conveniently located in more areas of the state. So while we're prioritizing sites in communities where virus activity has increased or where access to testing is limited, when the needs of a community are met, we're able to quickly relocate the site to another area. We're also looking for opportunities to provide Test Iowa in more communities through partnerships with local health care providers. And I fully expect that we will continue to expand uh, its footprint across the state in the weeks and months to come. As Iowa businesses reopen, activities resume, and life gradually gets back to normal, family members with loved ones in long-term care facilities are asking when they'll be able to be reunited again. I understand that, uh, that this time of separation has been extremely difficult for residents of long-term care facilities and their loved ones. I've heard stories of spouses that have been married for over 60 years who have rarely spent a day apart until these last three months. Of sons and daughters who worry that they're missing precious time with an elderly parent. And of the serious concerns about the impact this separation is having on the mental health and well-being of all long-term care residents. I want Iowans to know that our team, along with the Department of Public Health and Iowa's long-term care associations, have been reviewing the reopening guidance uh, from the CDC and have developed guidance to safely resume visitation in Iowa's long-term care facilities. This morning, I've asked Dr. Bradati to uh, give a brief overview on the guidance and next steps, including when Iowa families can anticipate these changes taking place. Oops, Dr. Padati. 
Thank you, Governor. So I want to share a bit about some additional work that's being done um, to help support long-term care facilities, the dedicated staff that work in them, and of course the residents that they serve. And I think when we think about long-term care facilities, it's important to keep in mind that even before COVID, we knew that this represented a vulnerable population. So we know that these are going to be residents who may be older or who have underlying conditions, and they live in a congregate or, or close setting. And that's important to keep in mind whether we're talking about responding to something like flu, norovirus, or of course COVID-19. And so local and state public health, as well as clinical partners throughout the state, work very closely to provide a variety of types of support to facilities depending on what it is they need. Now sometimes that support is going to come in the form of subject matter expertise on things like infectious disease or epidemiology. Sometimes it's going to come in the form of resources like testing and personal protective equipment or PPE. We also have routinely provided workforce support and guidance, and of course want to continue to provide information sharing as well as communication with these facilities. And we offer this kind of support in very close collaboration with a variety of groups, and that includes our regulatory partners, our long-term care associations, our quality improvement organizations, and our infection prevention networks. And of course, that's also going to include um, the staff, the patients, and their families. Now, we know this has been a very difficult time for patients and their families, um, and we understand that this has been a challenge for everybody. And so we're looking forward to sharing some additional guidance later today on how to start safely easing some of the control measures that have been put in place to help limit the spread of COVID and protect staff and families. And this guidance is going to be supported by some of the information that we continue to share on our coronavirus.iowa.gov webpage. And that's going to include the ability to click on a county and be able to assess the epi curve or cases over time, as well as a trend line. And this is important because what it does is it helps facilities, local public health, and all of us understand local virus activity. Understanding this local virus activity is going to be important because it's going to inform the readiness to move through three phases that are going to be described in the guidance. And they're going to address things like visitation of family as well as of healthcare personnel, trips outside of a facility, dining practices, and group activities. We're also going to continue to reinforce really good and important strategies like screening for symptoms, using appropriate PPE, and cohorting or grouping patients together when needed. We're also going to provide guidance on ways to continue to support testing. And this is, of course, going to involve working very closely with these facilities, their staff, and their residents. So we're going to be offering baseline testing assessments to residents and staff and facilities. We're going to continue to prioritize testing for any symptomatic staff or resident, and also continue to offer testing when individuals are transferred out of an acute care setting into a long-term care setting. We're also going to offer facility-wide testing when a case is identified, and we're also going to offer repeat weekly testing in order to help facilities manage these kinds of clusters. 
And finally, we're also going to be working with a group of facilities that are going to be across Iowa, and this is going to be similar to how we work with hospitals and clinics on flu. These facilities will be offered staff testing on a regular basis, and they can be adjusted according to a variety of factors, including things like geographic distribution and virus activity. And this is one way that we gain insight into something called sentinel surveillance, or using routine and regular testing to help us better understand patterns throughout the state. This is all part of a larger continued effort to offer testing to Iowans through partnerships among public health, clinical providers, and our communities. We're going to continue to share information and adjust our response as needed, and we're going to continue to provide information to help Iowans stay up to date and informed, as well as to encourage continued practicing of good public health measures, including things like frequent hand washing, social distancing, and staying home. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Badati. I uh, appreciate your thoughtful approach uh, to this very important matter and uh, really working collectively with all of the stakeholders to make sure that we're thoughtful and we're doing this in a safe and responsible manner. Um, it's really important that we do that. I want to thank Iowa's, Iowa's families for their patience uh, during this time. Again, I know it hasn't been easy, but it really was necessary to uh, a necessary step to protect the health of your loved ones and others. I also want to reassure you that their continued health and safety remain of our, one of our highest priorities. And finally, I want to give a quick update on our latest unemployment numbers as um, they are showing some remarkable improvement. Last week, we saw a 50% 50, 50 decrease in initial unemployment claims. The number of continuing claims has dropped from more than 205,000 Iowans in early May to just over 172,000 in the most recent data. So, you know, that's good news. It shows that more Iowans are getting back to work and getting life back to normal. They also show that Iowa's economy is demonstrating a high level of resilience. Last week, the financial news aggregator site Wallet Hub released its rankings of states with the most unemployment due to COVID-19. And I'm pleased to say that Iowa ranked 51st on that list. It's still early in our recovery from COVID-19, but this is good news. Uh, and it highlights how our measured approach to closing and reopening sectors of our economy was the right one for Iowans. And with that, um, I'll open it up for questions. Governor, there was a press conference this morning on the Capitol steps, and one of the speakers was a young black woman who said she's been a part of the protests that have been taking place recently. And she said if no racial justice legislation passes during this session, that she and her fellow protesters will be even more emboldened to be out there and demanding change. How, how important is it to you that you sign some form of racial justice legislation this session? Yeah, so what I would really like to do, and I indicated this in the press conference and have indicated that to local African-American leaders that I've had the opportunity to work with, is we have taken significant steps over the last couple years with criminal justice reform. And I would like to sit down and walk through some of the steps that we've taken. I talked to the lieutenant governor yesterday, and because of COVID, we had to put the focus group meetings on hold. We'll be starting those back up. 
uh, the end of June. We're shooting for probably the last weekend in June. And we've made some significant steps, but you know, we have a ways to go. And uh, it's going to be important, as I said, that we have meaningful and uh, thoughtful conversations, that we continue to look at what we have done, but where do the gaps continue to exist? We're not going to fix this overnight, but we need to dem we need to listen. We need to understand, and we need to demonstrate that we are making progress along the way. You know, especially, I'm proud of some of the things that we've done, not just in criminal justice reform. We need to take a holistic approach about how we start to put in place systemic change. And when that comes to mental health is a great example. With bipartisan and unanimous support, we've passed comprehensive mental health reform. Again, with bipartisan and almost unanimous support, we passed, for the first time ever, a put in place a children's mental health system that they had been talking about for 20 years. But we stepped forward and we got that done. And by doing the comprehensive mental health, adult mental health care reform, what we did is we addressed disparities that were happening across the state. And we said that every single Iowan is entitled to the same core services, adding in addition to that core plus services. I've been a huge advocate of STEM education because I know the sooner that we can get in front of our young kids and get them engaged, and I love the STEM, uh, the the hands-on um, opportunities through STEM, that we start to engage them in different manners, apprenticeship programs in the schools, uh, helping uh, match up young people with potential employers, you know, so working on retraining, Future Ready Iowa, so there's a whole host of things that we're working on, uh, restoring felon voting rights is another priority of mine. We made significant progress last night. I appreciate Senator Zahn saying that he intends to move that out of Judicial Committee tomorrow. These are all really, really positive steps in the right direction. And so, you know, we have to continue the conversation and we need to continue to move forward and I look forward to helping facilitate that. Governor, that focus committee would be presumably after the session if it wraps up in two weeks. Representative Rod Smith and other Democrats today at that news conference that Aaron mentioned put forward three ideas of things that can happen now to, to deliberately and specifically address um, you know violent encounters between law enforcement and 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 communities of color so why not just do something now considering Caroline, the urgency we, of the moment well you know we have been but you can't fix it overnight and we are making progress he is a legislator he's representing the constituents they have the right through the legislative process to take that to the floor to have that conversation to see what we can do to continue to move forward I'm going to continue to do what I've been doing and what I've been working on we're going to bring new people to the table we're going to sit down and have a constructive conversation about what this looks like to move forward but I don't want to lose sight of the fact Caroline that we are making progress that we have done a lot of things now I'm not saying we're done I've made it very clear there's a lot of things that we need to continue to do but also I think you know we can always be better but law enforcement also has tried to do a good job of reaching out to the community, to do the community policing, to build relationships. And I think we're actually seeing that take place in communities across our state. You've seen peaceful, for the most part, uh, demonstrations. Iowans have gathered peacefully to 
you know, um, make sure that their voices have, are heard and to talk about what their expectations are going forward. And our law enforcement have been a big piece of making sure that they're allowed to do that in a peaceful manner and not get hurt. And, and really, they've done that, and they've been able to do that. And communications are taking place throughout the protest, and that's because there's a, a relationship that's been built there that they want to build on. They've been the first to say they want to continue to make progress um, and build on the relationships that they're working hard um, to establish. So we just need to keep talking and we need to keep, more importantly, probably listening and, and seeing what that looks like. Governor, um, Tyson has announced that they're going to go back to its pre-coronavirus um, absentee policy that could include punishing employees for missing work due to illness. With um, you know ongoing Tyson plant outbreaks still in the, in the state of Iowa, is it an appropriate time for that to occur? Well, I'm not going to second to guess business decisions, but what we will do is we'll continue to make testing available. We'll continue to make sure that they have the PPE that they need, continue to make sure that through the process that they have a safe environment for employees to work in. So we're going to continue to be a partner and to offer, um, like I said, testing, make sure they have adequate PPE, help facilitate that if they need to. We have great uh, business guidance that the Department of Public Health has uh, put in place, and then we do a lot of webinars and outreach, um, and, and we'll continue to do that with businesses um, to make sure that you know they are um, getting what they need and, and just reminding them of what's important to keep their employees safe. They know it's important to keep their employees safe because they need they they're a critical component of their ability to um, continue operating. Governor, I believe you said recently your administration was working on a plan to on how to report outbreaks at businesses. Is that plan developed yet? Yeah, thank you. We're, we are still in the process of um, analyzing the data that we have. We don't have any additional outbreaks to confirm this morning. Governor, the House um, out of committee yesterday passed a bill that would give businesses protection from COVID-19 liability. Uh, Republican counterparts in the Senate have expressed the same support. Do you support a bill like that? Yeah, well, we'll let it work through the legislative process. I want to see it in its final form. Um, so we'll let it work through its process and let the legislative action take place. And then we'll take a look at it in its final form and make a decision going forward. But what about concerns that we'll wait till I see it in its final form. It's working through the legislative process. That's what it's designed for so that we can have those conversations so that people that support or don't have the opportunity to weigh in with their elected officials and we'll see where it ends up in the process. So would you have concerns about employees not having recourse for um, you know if they if they were harmed on the job related to coronavirus if, if something like this was passed? Yeah we'll wait until see what it looks like in its final form. Courtney at KMTV go ahead. Yeah, so, sorry about that. I was having some phone issues. Governor Reynolds, there's been a lot of protests with large groups of people, many not wearing masks and not following that six feet rule. Do you think reopening the state or these protests are more likely to cause more COVID-19 cases? Well, you know, again, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to test Iowans to monitor the virus activity with the uh, system that we have in place with the website and with the data that we're able to collect, not only through the state hygienic lab testing, our serology component, but with the Test Iowa, as well as the other labs that are providing testing with our clinical sites that we're implementing in smaller communities all across the state so we can continue to broaden access to testing. And that's, we're going to be watching it closely 
closely like we do every single day to monitor where we're seeing maybe an increase in virus activity, a potential cluster. Uh, and if we, when we start to see that, we will respond uh, and, and, and see what we need to do to address it appropriately. Lauren, KCCI. Lauren, go ahead. All right, we're going to go to Monica, Channel 13. Monica, in just a second, go ahead. Am I good? Yeah, you're good. <laughs> Hello? Okay. Hi, hi, Governor. Um, Hello. Deputy Representative Jeff Shipley received a lot of criticism for his statement to um, an anti-vaccine group outside rallying the Capitol. He said this virus isn't even killing anybody. He later walked back on those statements, but I wanted to know if you think it's dangerous language for an elected official to uh, speak of the deaths in the state of Iowa happening, not happening when there are indeed, of course, people in Iowa dying from COVID-19. Well, I said one of the most heartbreaking things that I have to do as a governor is to stand here and talk about uh, the deaths and individuals and Iowans who have been impacted by COVID-19, especially the 20 percent with older older Iowans and those with underlying conditions who are most severely and significantly impacted by COVID-19. You know, and I think I've said many times, uh, words matter, and we need to be careful and thoughtful about statements that are being made. And so we're going to continue to do everything that we can to mitigate uh, the impact of COVID-19 on Iowans. We're going to continue to focus on those most vulnerable, and we're going to continue to count on Iowans who are doing a great job of being personally responsible practicing good hygiene, isolating when they're sick, and uh, we're going to continue to hopefully uh, see that continue to take place, and uh, we're going to continue to see our numbers trend downward, and we're going to continue to uh, open up and get things back to normal. So um, we just need to be careful about what we say. All right, that was uh, Governor Kim Reynolds. Love the train whistle. In the yes, yes. Uh, time out. When we come back, Mark Morehouse from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. We, we He will join the program. We'll get into the Hawkeyes with Mark. Miller and Condon take you up until towards noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.1. Week in building. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Thanks for being with us. Taking towards noon. Let's get Mark Morehouse in here, Cedar Rapids Gazette. Been a while since we've had our friend Mark Morehouse on the program, Trent Condon. He's painting a bl- black on Twitter. Yes, he is. He did. A lot of people <laughs> did. How are you, Mark Morehouse? I'm great. Thank you for having me on, you guys. No, listen, appreciate it, Mark. I look forward to doing this more so on a weekly basis, which means football would be upon us. And uh, yesterday, Kirk Ferentz met with his team, met with the media, all via Zoom. Uh, Your takeaway from what you saw um, as you tune, or what do you do? Do you log in to Zoom, I guess, uh, and watch what the coach had to say? What were your couple of your takeaways, Mark? Well, um, the Colin Kaepernick thing really kind of blew up out of that. Uh, It's, you know, in, in uh, two and a half, whatever, whatever happened, two and a half, three years, 2016. Um, I, I think Kirk probably made a miscalculation when he, when he, he called the uh, kneeling sort of a, uh, a fad. And I, 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 that was, 
probably the wrong way to look at it. Probably burned a few of his guys. Um, now he's reconsidered, and uh, now they all might kneel. Uh, but I, I understand what Kirk's saying there with the uh, wants to be uniform, mm-hmm. unified. I, I like that idea on game day. Um, it's a risky thing, and not everybody's gonna be happy with that. If it, you know how far, however far that goes. Um, but you know, I I, I want to focus on. You know, let's let's worry about that when we get there. Yep. Uh, let's get football first, and then you know, I, I do I do think Iowa does a, a good job of, of making sure underrepresented people are heard. And I think you know, I, I think I was fairly woke. But you're seeing you're seeing James Daniels on Twitter today. You're mm-hmm. seeing uh, Jaleel Johnson on Twitter today saying the culture needs a wake up call. And you know, I, I, I that's their opinion. James is one of the smartest kids I, that has come through. Um, I listen to those guys, and, and I want to, you know, learn and change. You know, I, I, I look for cues. Yeah, it's time to listen for everybody. I agree. I think we are, Matt for Hank, the most part. Matt Hankins, starting cornerback for the Hawkeyes, yeah, he came out on there? a couple of days before and said he was disappointed that they hadn't heard anything from the head man. It sounds like after the conversation that coach had with everybody, at least for that and for the other players that felt that way, Maybe things have cooled a little bit. How deep do you look into something like that? Certainly very raw emotions happening across the country right now. How did you read into what Hankin said on Instagram? I, I didn't see that. I don't follow the players I used to when I was younger. I don't. I, I kind of let them have their – let all players have their freedom now to say whatever they want without a reporter sneaking in on it. But, you know, I know that's out there. And um, I, I think he listened. I think uh, Ferentz listened is – you know, he, he said he, he wanted to talk to the players first. He said he heard from them, uh, from players who said uh, they didn't want, you know, they, they wanted to hear their coach. And I think Ferentz is, how would you guys describe it? Um, allergy toward social media probably didn't work very well for him <laughs> right, here. Right. Um, I do think probably Iowa needs to look at Twitter, needs to, needs to look at having players have some freedoms there. Um, I know Twitter is not, you know, I, I think Kirk's judgment has been sound on that, but, you know, there are times when you kind of got to change, and I think Kirk is seeing that now. And, you know, the fact that he listened, the fact that he took his lumps in mm-hmm. front of the team, you know, you know, he listened to some of his guys, and uh, they weren't happy with him. And uh, I, I think the chance for growth, I think it's a chance for the players to be heard, and, and I think that's really what's the most important thing out of all this. I'm with you, and the fact that their head coach is willing to listen, I think, will probably resonate in that locker room. Uh, Mark Morehouse from the Cedar Rapids Gazette uh, is our guest. So, Mark, we're on the precipice of of, uh, student-athletes coming back on campus for voluntary workouts. Um, how did, have, you, have they gone on in depth at all or laid out a plan and made a plan public uh, as to how, what that is going to look like? Well, there's been uh, – they've not, like, handed out specifics or anything, but Kirk went over some of the stuff yesterday. One, one entrance into the uh, Hanson Football Performance Center, everybody's going to be tested before – um, so no one's, you know, getting through without COVID just right at the baseline. There's going to be baseline COVID tests. And then there's going to be temperature checks, uh, medical survey, how the guys are doing, um, uh, workouts, you know, say the, the weight, the Hawkeye championship groups, the groups that the, you know, actually kind of will go in and work out together. Those are going to be spaced out more. Cleaning is going to be of utmost concern. Um, but I, the one, the one kind of sentiment that's maybe pulled me along a little bit. I've been very, really timid with, twi- with uh, COVID because 
you know, I, I have diabetes. I have mm-hmm. uh, I have high blood pressure. I worry about that kind of thing. So I I worry about that stuff. But I see, you know, the measures that what Gary Barta said about not hiding not hiding in your home all the time until there's a vaccine. Kirk kind of said that yesterday too. And you know what? They're right. Uh, for somebody who would love to be able to do that, I know that's not realistic. So hey, I'm I'm going I'm along for the ride with Iowa football. I, I I'm kind of right now looking at it and I'm I'm cheering for it. I I hope this all works. Um, I, I hope that 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 they can keep the numbers or to keep the illnesses isolated and few. Um, it's time to go, you guys. I, I think it's time for it. I think I think uh, uh, there's just so much so much waiting to, to, to burst open as the energy. It, I, I'm probably not explaining that very well, but there's, there's, there's just football is waiting a lot to be alive again. And uh, I, I think holding that back, that energy is, it's, it's just not going to, it's, it's not going to sustain. So it's, it's time to go. And I think June 8th, and I think the, the general ideas and protections that are in place. Great. Let's do this. Let's see how it works. And do it right, man. That's the hope, certainly. And you'd think at a place like the University of Iowa, that certainly would be the case. As it pertains to game number one with you and I coming in, Iowa State after that, we've heard the proposal from Iowa State, 50% capacity. Gary, Gary Bart, on the other hand, it's all systems go. They're anticipating, maybe not a full building, but many more people inside of it than some other places, certainly. Your thoughts on Barta overall and, and his idea we're going to send out these tickets. We're going to put the people in there, and if we got to tell them, you know, come August, sorry, you can't come in. We'll deal with it at that point. Yeah, I think you have to do that. I think it's easier. It's it's harder to start things up as far as getting fans there than it is it, than it is to stop things. You know, I mean, if you have people buying tickets, you can't let have everyone wait till August to buy tickets because you know that's there's not enough time to turn it around. But I, 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 if this were just the players, I mean, if, if no fans in the stands, I'd be confident that they could really, really limit illness. Uh, the fans, to me, and, and every time, you know, talking to, to Kirk yesterday, and Barta had the line that didn't go over very well about signing the pledge. Well, Kirk didn't get asked that, but there is a lot of anxiety for when the kids do leave the building. It is college. It mm-hmm. is, there is the ped mall. There is, you know, that's half the fun. So they do worry about that, and they are freaked out about that. And I don't know how that's going to go because right. uh, those are all that's 105 individual decisions being made. And uh, yes, there's a responsibility of the team. There's a responsibility to get this thing going. But you know, kids don't listen to that. I worry about that part. Fans, you know, fans coming in. I think that's a huge variable that is going to be very, very tricky. I, I would say I, I think Pollard, for from what I've heard talking to Iowa people. There's there's uh for about every twenty five percent uh it goes down at Kinnick. You know, there's a there's a plan for seventy five, there's a plan for fifty, there's a plan for twenty five. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that will land. My guess is probably be fewer than we think might think. Yeah, I think so too. I know uh, Jamie Pollard's at fifty percent. Texas, the state of Texas today went from allowing twenty five earlier in the week. Now they're up to fifty percent. So, so maybe that's the number. And I'm with you, Mark. Obviously, you know the fewer people in the building, the likelihood uh, there's less likelihood of uh, of uh, COVID. Um, you know, getting to places where we don't want it to get to, anyways, which is which is nowhere. Um, Mark Morehouse, Cedar Rapids Gazette, is our guest. Did. Kirk expanded all on training camp, on fall camp, as to 
I, I think I've seen him quoted as saying he would like in a perfect world to have six weeks with the players. Was that discussed yesterday? It wasn't yesterday, but that's a great point, Ken, and, and that's something I think worth talking about. I, I would love. I think it has to be eight weeks. Uh, that's just me. Uh, I mean, give everybody a, a four-week, what we would call summer conditioning, and there's time for that. There's time for a four-week summer conditioning right now. And then a four-week camp. Um, that that time, that, that's that I wonder about, because every team starts at a different time, it feels like, and, and so everybody's calendar is a little bit different, but to me, those I think eight weeks would be optimum. I, I just think eight weeks would be better for the product of the game of football. Um, but the, it, Kirk has come down on that, Ken, and you're exactly right. He's talked about six, and I think when we had uh, we were in with Coach Doyle, I think he talked about potentially four. Um, I don't like that at all because then you're going to see a bunch of football players who haven't had the training that we've come to expect play the game, and this game's going to have lose a little shine, maybe. But you know, whatever. I'm all about safety right now, and if we notice that uh, Iowa's outside outside zone play is not as crisp as it used as it as it some, as it was last year with Tyler Goodson against Minnesota, um, I think that we'll be able to live with that. Mark Morehouse, Cedar Rapids Gazette, joining us here, Miller and Condon on KXNO. Mark, last thing from me and uh, Ken, he, he's got a question that doesn't pertain to me to wrap things up. It deals with <laughs> hockey, but. You know, this offseason, different than anything that we've seen, you're talking about the ramp-up period, the quarterback position with Petrus. What has been done? Did he stick around Iowa City the whole time? I know Amir Smith-Marset, he was one of the guys that stuck around. And have you heard how much individual work the guys have done on their own? Yeah, uh, he did stick around Iowa City, I believe. I, I, uh, I, get, I get every story mixed up a little bit. I need to check my notes, but I'm pretty sure he stayed in Iowa City. Um, Amir talked about uh, Spencer texting guys, getting them together for some passing workouts, or I'm not even exactly sure what. But Amir did talk about those guys getting together. So I assume Petrus is there. Um, we did talk to Ken O'Keefe on the podcast. Uh, not as strong as Arma Stanley, but I think the staff, there's something there the staff really loves. And. Spencer's a different personality. I mean, I'm standing at the San Diego Zoo kind of waiting to get the hell out of there uh, during the Holiday Bowl. It's Christmas, and there's a million people around. I just want to, you know, go somewhere and have Christmas. Uh, Spencer comes up to me and starts talking about Tyler Childers. Uh, I thought that was awesome. I didn't, I'd never really formally met him. And uh, the one thing that Iowa program has consistently done during Ferentz's time, and I don't know what no one really cares about this. I do. Uh, they find players who are really comfortable talking to adults. You know, mm. that's not an easy thing for kids. I'm constantly impressed with that. And Ty- Spencer does that, tells me that, you know what, he's going to be a good quarterback. He's going to g- cross party lines. He's going to say what needs to be said, and uh, he's going to move the team. Uh, I kind of think that. Uh, last thing on football, I do have real, real, one real quick NHL question for you. But did you guys see this yesterday? Because this one floored me. Punter for Arizona State, name is Michael Turk. Mm-hmm. He left school early. He put his name in the NFL draft. He hired an agent. He wasn't drafted, wasn't picked up via free agency, and the NCAA granted him a waiver to go back to Arizona State after hiring an agent and going through the draft process. Changing at the guard at the NCAA when it comes to this, Mark? I think that'd be awesome. Um, I, do I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't see anything wrong with that at all, and I'm glad that they did that. Now it does open a can of worms. Yep. I mean, that's, there's there's going to be more people looking for that. But um, disappointing that the one time transfer thing didn't get passed. Yeah, me but too. I think it will eventually. 
Um, I like the loosening of the strings here. I just think it, it uh, give let these kids have options. Don't leave them out hanging. I'm with you, Mark. Both of our teams uh, back into the playoffs in the NHL, if you want to call it that, the Blackhawks nor the Jets. Backed in, backed in, Ken, backed in. The, Black- <laughs> the Blackhawks backed into the playoffs. But, but they're back in the playoffs, right, which is all that matters. But they get the speedy That's- Oilers and Dreisaitl, the MVP of the league, and Connor McDavid, for my money, the league's best player. Blackhawks have experience. Look, it's going to be great. The Stanley Cup are uh, uh, an entirely different breed, right, of, of sport, of, of that game. Um, you'll sign for that, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Um, uh, the Stanley Cup the Blackhawks are about to win is going to be awesome. It's going to be <laughs> the comeback story of sports. Uh, no, seriously, uh, I'm kind of disappointed the Blackhawks were let into the playoffs, but can, uh, I've seen on Twitter described uh, playoff hockey as uh, jumping out of an airplane, uh, jumping out of a helicopter with both uh, grenades in both hands and you're landing on a motorcycle. I, 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 I have missed that energy. It's been yeah, me too. There's nothing like uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs, and we're going to get to see it. Fingers crossed. Mark, thank you. Thanks, we'll talk Mark. to you in the weeks ahead. You bet, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, yeah, good to speak with you, Mark Morehouse of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Yeah, the, the Mark, the Michael Turk, Michael Turk. Yeah, his dad was an NFL putter, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah. Yes, he was. Because I remember when Sleep yes. Dalton transferred to right. Iowa, they had this young hotshot punter mm-hmm. down there with mm-hmm. the Sun Devils, and it was a former NFL player. Yeah. So yep. It's interesting. Matt Turk, Mike, Mike, Matt Turk was the old man, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. You, uh, Mark's the, right, it's a can of worms. The agent part of it was what made it the most shocking to me. I mean, there could have been circumstances that we don't know about. Okay. But to hear that he hired an agent. Yeah, he did. And then gets the waiver to come back. Uh-huh. And didn't, didn't, that deadline to withdraw, if you want to, mm-hmm. well, that passed and it didn't apply to him. And he hired an agent. Now, and because he's back. it's a punter, and I'm going to guess that the agent's probably not. Throwing around, you know, big lavish dinners and everything else to him, maybe that made it a little bit fair, more palpable. Fair. If we're talking about an AJ Epinesa, if yeah. talking about Trevor Lawrence, yeah, it's not Drew Rosenhaus, right? He probably and, doesn't have many punters in his stable. Well, how about Geno Stone? If Geno Stone wouldn't have been there's picked, a good one. What would it, would he have been given this opportunity? The Turk was circumstances that we don't know aside, but we know uh-huh. he hired an agent. Yeah, he went through the process and he wasn't drafted. Do you think he would have got the okay? I would like to think so. You would like to think so. Uh, but this is landmark. The NCAA Maybe? is evolving. Well, I think they have to. They, I yeah. think they're, they, they realize yes. they're losing their place in mm-hmm. college athletics. So we'll see if this is the first. If this happens, you know, to everybody. But it's the hire. It's like you said. It's the hiring the agent that we're just not used to. Um, hired an agent, didn't get drafted, wasn't picked up via free agency. Petition the NCAA to go back to school. It's the right decision. It's the right decision. Best for the kid. Best for the kid. Absolutely. The young adult. Yeah, probably pretty good for Arizona State, too. Yeah, they'll take it. Herm will take it. All right, uh, Murph and Andy are going to be in here at 2 o'clock today. Fanatics slide in at 4. I imagine Ross double duty, right? He was in this yes, morning. Yes, yep. Uh, morning rush tomorrow at 6 a.m. And Trent and I are back at 10. Thanks for being with us. We're Miller and Condon weekdays. 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.